Hello everyone, I am Mariah Parsons, I'm your host. If you are new to Learn to Listen, welcome, and if you are a regular listener, thank you. Learn to Listen is a mental health and wellness podcast designed to encourage vulnerability in storytelling and to empower through empathy. If you like the show, please, please, please go subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I also have built out our social media. Um, So we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, the whole, you know, every channel, omni-channel experience, wherever you like to find your content best, it's there for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Learn to Listen. Today, we are rejoined by Allison Allen. So thank you, Allison, for coming on. Just a little background um, for those of you who might not be familiar. We had Allison on the Learn to Listen podcast a few episodes back. And as a refresher, we met through Athletes for Hope and their whole being athletes podcast series. That's the first conversation Allison and I had. Uh, she is a licensed social worker in the state of Massachusetts, co-founder of Earnhardt Singer Therapy Group. So at the end of last episode of our last episode with Alice, Allison, we um, kind of ended on a, a bigger question than I think we anticipated. And yeah. so we said we would record another episode to dive deeper and do that question justice. Um, so we will get into that. But first, hello, Allison, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me back. Okay. So uh, our pleasure, of course, as always. And so um, as a reminder, last episode, we spoke a lot about, you know, the difference between sports psych and clinical therapy, uh, the negative connotation between vulnerability and weakness, the differences between process and progress. And so that left us on that big cliffhanger of a question of what is the relationship between leadership, vulnerability, and confidence. And so that's what we're here to discuss today. And when we were, you know, recapping last episode, talking about this new episode, what we wanted to bring to the audience, you had suggested um, us listening to a podcast by Justin Sua called Losing Control. And we picked out different time snippets um, to play back and get our responses in real time. So if you're ready for it, we'd love to play one of those for you. And then we can, we can uh, chat about like our responses when we were listening for the first time. Sounds great. Let's do it. Okay. Awesome. Here's the first one. Is ephemeral. Isn't something you have. It's something you do. It's something you invest in. It's something that you regain. And it's something that you maximize. But if- okay, so that's the first uh, little snippet that we have to share. So what are, what are your thoughts about Dr. Colleen Hacker's theory on confidence and sustainable success? What I love about the comment she has here is she talks about confidence being something that you do. Mm-hmm. And I love how she frames confidence as a verb I think oftentimes we think about confidence as a noun, right? That person is confident. And I think a more accurate portrayal of confidence is exactly what Dr. Hacker um, alludes to. And it's this, it's this notion of needing to choose confidence every day. So when you are choosing confidence, you are engaging in the act of confidence, 
So rather than confidence being a state of being or an adjective, you are engaging, you are actively engaging with being confident on a moment to moment basis. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point. Exactly. It's so like minute or so finite of, you know, I feel like a lot of the times our conversation around confidence is like, oh, how do you have so much confidence? Yeah. Right. Like that phrasing of like, oh, you just have it. Like <laughs> so yes. taking that actionable item or that actionable um, verbiage around confidence is interesting. And when I was, it also stuck out to me when I was listening to um, Dr. Colleen Hacker talking about it because I was like, oh, it's so quick. You know, we can be so quick to assume with other people. It's like, oh, they just have confidence. They have it naturally. Like it is something that is more of a intrinsic personality trait rather than something that you're continuously working on and so I love that she says it's something that you do like and I think that's so simple that you know hopefully people will be able to take with them it's like you have to constantly be trying to maximize that confidence yes absolutely and I think um perhaps one of the other sound clips we're going to talk about uh talks a bit about performance and how um confidence is connected to performance and how performance is connected to confidence um so I'm I look forward to having that quote here because we'll be able to connect this idea with performance as well um yeah so perhaps we could we could bring that one in at this time yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. Okay, so this is our next clip from um, Justin Sua's podcast. Accessible to everybody, meaning that we can feel confident and every athlete, whether you're five years old or you're 98 years old, most athletes believe and have experienced the fact that they play differently and usually better when they're confident. Confidence works bi-directionally. When I'm feeling confident, now refer to my first point, I'm focused on my strengths, my capabilities, my successes. So I'm feeling confident, I'm generally going to perform better. And then that becomes that closed loop. Focusing on success, I feel confident, I play better. I'm focusing on capabilities, I feel better, I feel confident, I play better. And around and around and around we go. It also works in reverse. So I'm focusing on having confidence first. If you play well, so rather than starting with the feeling, now we're starting with performance. If you perform well, you feel more confident and you focus on your strengths. So hopefully that makes sense. So you can start with thoughts, feelings, performance, or you can start with performance, thoughts, feelings, right? It goes both directions. Okay. So that's our next clip. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it when, you know, when she talks about it going bi-directionally. And I think one of the things that came up for me as I was listening to that was this idea that, you know, she's, she's connecting confidence with performance and performance with confidence. But I think if we were to expand that a little bit to connect to what we were just talking about with confidence being a verb rather than a state of being, I think there's a piece there for us to lean into, which is to say that confidence doesn't need to hinge on performance, right? Where of course, you know, of course, if we are performing better, whether it be at our job or in our sport or in our relationships, if we are showing up in the way that we want to or performing, if you will, in the way that we want to, 
of course, we're going to feel confident in our situation, of course. But I think where a, a, a big chunk of the work really can be is in this nuanced where how can we stay confident if our performance isn't exactly where we want it to be? And that's where I think her earlier comment about confidence being a verb is really important because it's not just something that we do, it's something that we choose, right? I'm going to choose to be confident here, even in my not so great performance or even in my failure. And this is where I think the vulnerability piece can kind of come in and we can begin to explore a little bit because I think that confidence inside of vulnerability becomes really fascinating because Oftentimes we can become vulnerable in our mistakes or mm-hmm. in our failures, right? But I think when we bring confidence in our mistakes and failures, what we're actually doing is flipping the script saying, no, this isn't a mistake. This isn't a failure. This is actually a lesson. Mm. And when we look at that as a lesson then we are able to become vulnerable in that moment of, wow, I have something to learn here. I didn't perform in the way that I thought I could or in the way that I thought I would, or even in the way that I prepared, right? So here we are in this space of vulnerability of like, wait a minute, what what do I have to learn? And then again, this is where confidence weaves in because we're saying, you know, if we're going to choose confidence, Right. We're going to we're going to choose a stance of being willing to become vulnerable, to be willing to learn from our misstep. Yeah, I think that's that's really special in that I love that you tie in vulnerability to it because I do think they play hand in hand. And so the acknowledgement of like your missteps or you know, the, the failures, air quotes, failures, or Mm -hmm. anything that you're doing that, you know, your performance, when you look after the fact, you're like, that is not what I, that was not the expected outcome that I wanted or that I was anticipating. And so say to yourself and be so honest Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and have that like candor with yourself or your teammates, whoever you are uh, discussing, like the outcome with to have that, I think is so special. And so I love that you tie in confidence and vulnerability together because they are, I think from the connotations, it's, it seems that they should be opposed, right? Like we have, and we discussed it on the last episode, the, the connotation around confidence being like, oh, I'm so strong. I don't need help. I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I'm excelling in all, I'm firing on all sin- cylinders, right? right? And then vulnerability right. is opposed to that as saying vulnerability is showing I am not succeeding at this. So therefore, one could fall down the slippery slope of saying I'm not confident because it is not going how I anticipated and I, you know, didn't know myself as much. So therefore, I'm less confident. But I think that's if you can figure out that how confidence and vulnerability play together and how they can actually assist each other that's where like you said like that really niche spot a lot of greatness and a lot of learning can come from yes exactly exactly very well said thank you well (laughs) i i mean it's it's helpful having like dr hacker dr hacker's opinions on it as well and i know we um were discussing the one-liner that 
is all about confidence begets confidence, right? And like, mm-hmm. so the um, the other thing that I also wanted to focus on is that Dr. Hacker really says that it's easy to fall into that slippery slope of you're focusing on your partner's abilities and your lack of ability instead of flipping it on its head saying, okay, I want to focus on my abilities rather than my shortcomings. And yes. that's that's really the spot that you can, if you choose to focus on, that's how you can elevate that confidence rather than tearing yourself down and making the, you know, the opponent or anyone else, you know, even just a stranger seem bigger, better than you. Um, yes. So I would, I would love to play that clip as well and uh, have our listeners uh, react in real time with us. Mm-hmm. When athletes aren't confident, are losing confidence, have low confidence, nine times out of 10, they're focusing on errors, losses, deficiencies, problems that they have. They're highlighting their opponent's capabilities and under recognizing their competency. So number one, there it is very short, but a lot to unpack in there. Absolutely. I I really like that because it, it really is, it becomes about focus, right? And what are you putting your energy on? And I think as I was listening to it, it, it was interesting, kind of this, this saying came up for me, which was kind of stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane. And I think one of the things that's important to reflect on when we're thinking about confidence is like, if we're to look at it as a verb, we're looking at what you are in control of, what your responses and reactions are to a certain circumstance. And so if we have the power, why not choose putting the focus on our own power and abilities? If we are putting our focus on our opponent's power and abilities, we're actually giving our energy away to them. So even if we're thinking about what they do great and what they do not so great, we're stepping out of our lane. We only have a certain amount of focus. We only have a certain amount of energy. It's finite. So we have to really kind of challenge ourselves to think about where am I putting it? Where where am I putting it? And that becomes, I think, again, choice is one of these words that's coming up for us in, a lot in this conversation right now. But But where are you choosing to put your energy? Focus is energy. It is. And so when you are putting your focus and energy outside your lane and you are too busy focusing on the other around you, you become distracted on what capabilities and availabilities you have inside of yourself. Right. Yeah, I would. I I love that. Um, The focus aspect. And I think anyone um, can relate to if you, I know our specialties, right? Like yours is in athletics and mine, having been an athlete, we tend to focus on that, that perspective. And so you say opponent, right? Like anyone that is, you are looking to who is outside of yourself, who is like, has something that you have, even if it's, you know, like I could even see influencers, right? Like social media, you're looking to someone and comparing yourself. So anywhere there is that comparison, I think people can relate and take it outside of, um, you know, your focus specifically within even athletes and say 
Like, wow, it is so easy to fall down that slippery slope of that comparison game. And then that obviously can lead into where you're focusing your energy and your effort, your, you know, um, where your confidence is coming from, how you are maybe acting against building up your own confidence. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot right here. But if say you had a client who was doing this and really focusing, putting all their focus, all their energy outside of themselves. How would you recommend or navigate trying to um, trying to recommend or um, give the advice of keeping that narrative that you're telling yourself more internal? Like, are there specific strategies you would yeah. you would help to employ? Yeah. Well, I think so. As a clinician, this is the kind of work that we do in therapy all the time, and in in a lot of ways, like the therapeutic process itself is what lends itself to do this kind of work. And so in therapy, we would be able to externalize uh, this client's thoughts or feelings about the other. And through the external processing between the clinician and the client, you begin to actually integrate processes and narratives and rewire the way that somebody thinks about something. So in a lot of ways, just the act of engaging in therapy allows you to kind of move around what we're talking about. So the greatest thing is to focus on going in. And I think in a lot of ways, the way that you can do that is begin to identify and name what is mine? What is mine? What feelings are mine? What thoughts are mine? How am I showing up to a circumstance And then recognizing what is other, right? What are their thoughts? What are their behaviors? How are they showing up in circumstances? And we can get into a very slippery slope of the comparison game, right? If I do not have this and I'm valuing this, then I must have nothing and I must be whatever, fill in the negative fill in the blank with any negative adjective, right? So so that's when it becomes really important of recognizing, okay, what is mine and what is other? And we begin to need to identify what are your value systems? What kinds of things are important to you? Where are you putting your energy and what do you call worthy? And more often than not, what we find is when we get super clear around what those things are, all of a sudden the other starts to dissipate or dilute or dissolve because what we really find is that oftentimes that they don't align. And when we get really clear around what we want and what we're bringing and what we have to offer, all of a sudden the other doesn't seem as vibrant or as important or as what we really thought it was. We begin to see the, um, you know, the, the illusion. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of dissipates and it, it goes back to, makes a lot of sense because it goes back to what you were saying of, you know, whatever you are focusing on, that is your energy eventually. Yeah. And so if you are letting yourself go down that slippery slope or be consumed by what others are doing or the other, um, it can be very easy to obviously be focused on that and have that take all of your time and tension and effort away from focusing internally on things that 
you know, you want to improve or the things that you want to change in order to have this outcome. So I think that's, that's a really finite detail that our audience can take with them and say, like, you know, it, it truly is the energy and where you're focusing on um, that can be that change that, um, you know, that like can change those, that, that mindset. Absolutely. Because I think ultimately, when we get into the comparison game, we're looking to emulate, not create. And what we need is individuals creating in their own spaces. We're all unique and we're bringing these really, really interesting and fascinating perspectives, whether you're in the workplace and, and you know, you're, you're trying to bring something, a new idea to your team, or if you're on, you know, if you're an athlete and you're trying to bring a specific part of yourself or your skill set to the team, right? No matter what arena you are in, if you're in the place of emulating other, you're not standing in your truth and your authenticity and your organic process. And that's, that's where, that's where the magic lives. That's where the good stuff happens is when you can begun, begin to step in a, in a place of creation. And again, bringing the idea of confidence back in. When you are creating something new, you can stand confident in that because nobody else has that to offer, right? You can stand confident in your creation because it's yours. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I really like that emulation versus creation point of if you are fully concentrated on what you are bringing to the table rather than what someone else is bringing to the table that you could emulate I think there's a lot of room for greatness to happen just like you said and I I love the application of like the workplace even right if like another one of your coworkers or a boss or someone whoever that relationship or whatever that relationship looks like if you are able to say like I, this is a project that I have thought about or I can bring this to the table that will lend itself or should lend itself nicely to confidence and knowing like, oh, this is a strength of mine that I brought this to the team, that this is the mm -hmm. skill set. These are my perspective. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're adding there, it can it 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 has a nice correlation between yeah. confidence levels rising as well. Yes. And I think this, again, is where vulnerability comes in. Mm -hmm. And because these things are so closely braided into one another, I think when we are standing in our confidence that's rooted in creation, we inevitably and naturally become vulnerable because we're offering up something new, right? And that can be scary. And that can also be um, perceived as threatening in some, in some, you know, areas that might not be as growth forward or growth minded, right? So I think we also just need to hit pause for a second and and really honor and recognize that to do this, we are asking ourselves to engage in vulnerability in a way that might not feel comfortable. You know, what we're what we're talking about here is is hard. And I and I think it is a, an act of bravery. And I think it's important to just hold space and acknowledge um you know the uh the leap that you have to take in order to do these kinds of things. Yeah. I love taking that note and making really emphasizing how scary or how difficult it can be to yeah. do things. Cause you're, you're completely right in that. It, it takes a vulnerable person to be like, you know, this I'm, I'm going out on a um, tangent here. I'm, or I'm taking a leap of faith. And so 
saying like this is a new idea we haven't tried this so far or um you know it goes against the maybe the group norm right and so to bring that into the conversation as we talk about confidence and vulnerability and eventually how that blends into leadership i think that note is very important to hit home because it is something that can be terrifying and kind of sometimes is terrifying right And so I think that you can't have a discussion about confidence without also having a discussion about vulnerability and um, putting, you know, yourself or your thoughts out on, you know, out in a scarier place where you might not know what the response or the answer is going to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so with that, I would love to ask you, I know before we were chatting, we were trying to parse through even because it is such an interesting relationship between mm-hmm. confidence, vulnerability, leadership, and how, you know, what our opinions are on all of them, how they all intersect in our own lives, and then also just generally in society. And so um, let me ask you, you know, this uh, softball of a question, right? Okay. The relationship, okay. <laughs> relationship between confidence, vulnerability, and leadership, how do you see them all working together? Yeah. I think um, the way that I, when we were talking about it earlier, the image that came up for me was a triangle and how each one of them offers up a different point of the triangle. And it's interesting because this conversation, I think, has um, lent us in a, led us in a direction of, of one way that they can all connect. We started with confidence And we talked about how confidence can um, lead us to this place of vulnerability. When we're standing confident in our creativity, when we're standing confident in our uniqueness, um, we we inevitably call in a realm of vulnerable. And then I think where then the vulnerability connects with leadership is exactly in the example that we were just talking about, where if you are in a workplace and and you are offering up a new idea, you're standing confident in your, in your creation of this new idea. And then you're in a place of vulnerability when you raise your hand and say, I've got an idea. We're going to try something new here. When you take that step out, you are putting yourself in a place of leadership. Yeah. The act of offering up something new, you are claiming space. You are stepping into, like we were talking about, a brave space. And that's what a leader does. A leader looks for a space that has not been yet occupied, right? And claims that. And then says, who wants to come with me? And I think when, in the example that we gave about the workplace, let's say you offer up your idea you're in a place of vulnerability that all of a sudden moves to the other end of the triangle and says, this is what I would like to do. Would anyone like to join me here? And then a great leader is co-collaborative, right? They've got this idea, but then they invite others into the conversation, right? This is what I'd like to do. What do you think? And then all of a sudden we become vulnerable again. And we become then confident in our question of what do you think? And that dynamic, I think is, people are very attracted to it. People are very interested in it. They want to engage in it. So I think if we can 
when we're thinking about the relationship of these three things, I think if we can kind of put it in the image of a triangle, we're watching the ways in which the directions kind of can feed into one another. No, I love that image of using a triangle because they all are connected, right? It isn't, um, it isn't like a timeline where it's, you get, you're confident, this, you are putting yourself in a position of vulnerability and then you become a leader, right? Like they all are cyclical. And so I love that image for people to have and to take with them. I also love the point that you made about a leader taking up space and being the one to invite others into their uh, their project or their ideas or whatever that you are proposing. Um, because I think that in a vulnerable headspace, it can be so or it, it let me let me rephrase this. If you are offering up the idea and you are physically or mentally feel like as you are one, you are solo yeah. in that space, it can be very vulnerable and scary. Right. Yeah. That's that's half of it is that, you know, it's it's scary to put yourself out there. But I think that the power that one can feel of acknowledging like I am the one who I'm going to say I'm bringing this idea to your attention and I'm willing to be that first one that also aids itself to being more confident and being a leader because people are looking at you saying like, wow, they're so confident in themselves that they're willing to go out on this idea alone and welcome other people to their idea because they are, you know, um, assumably a good leader and want to be co-collaborative. Right. So I, I, I also think there's, there's a great amount of potential in acknowledging a leader taking up space and wanting others to join them in that space. But before others are able to join them, you have to be comfortable with taking on that task alone and being vulnerable in it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love this. Like, I love this, these kinds of talks. Right. And I, I love the, the, all the little nuances that we bring into these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I want to offer that, um, you know, I think with that image of it being a triangle, mm -hmm. there's also really strong correlations to other aspects of, our identity or our uh, our person that also feed into leadership as well and so and confidence and vulnerability and so I know we have this like the image of the triangle that we've been using yeah with leadership vulnerability and confidence being kind of the the points of those three triangles but I also wanted to ask you you know how does now we're, we're going to talk a little focus a little bit more on leadership so assuming that someone has acknowledged, you know, I have to focus on myself to be confident and I have to be willing to be vulnerable to be a good leader. How does leadership and vulnerability now play into each other? I would love to like dive into that relationship a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It's a big question. I know. It is. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. And I think we could, we can kind of take it in a lot of, um, a lot of different directions, but I guess I'm thinking a bit about, you know, I, I'm thinking about a captain of a team, right. And them holding the kind of in, in some ways, like the, the greatest point of leadership, right. The teammates look to them. And I think in some ways, like, 
there is a level of pressure that that goes along with the job of being a captain of being a leader and i think the pressure ultimately kind of puts us in this place of vulnerability too because when we're putting ourselves in that position we're we're also opening up to um like at, like i'm going to air quote attacks right where where you know kind of different um energies can be coming at us and in a lot of different directions like so when you think about a team you have all different kinds of personalities that are on that team who are bringing all different kinds of perspectives and energies and positives and negatives and i think as a captain as a leader you are kind of by definition absorbing all of that you're holding all of that and that puts you in a place of vulnerability that kind of like the vulnerability we were talking about in our last episode, where, um, in you know, in some ways that could be understand as like, oh, oh, you know, air quotes weakness, right? Like all of a sudden we're in this vulnerable position where where, where it becomes difficult and hard and in a weakness that we would want to kind of like get away from. But as we talked about in the last episode, right, vulnerability isn't a weakness; it's an opportunity. And so I think in that moment, right, the all of a sudden, the leader, the captain has the opportunity to begin to see what other people are bringing to that situation. And they can invite them in to kind of say, all right, you know, how would this be productive? Or they can shut it down and say, this isn't productive, or they can engage in it and say, well, you know, how can we switch this? How can we move this? So what you have to say could be a part of this. And I think in some ways, like a captain, a leader, has to make some really hard calls, has to make some really difficult decisions, right? And you might have a teammate. There's a great book on this. Um, uh, I um, The name is escaping me a little bit, but it's something about team chemistry. Um, and I think it's called Intangibles. And they talk about how there are some players um, that can be a part of a team that are toxic. And so you as a leader, you know, you kind of have to step in this place of making a hard call saying, you know, we're not going to invite you into this conversation right now. And that puts you in a very vulnerable spot because all of a sudden you might not be as well liked as you thought you might be as a leader. Right. And so I think when a captain has to step into a space of saying, you're not benefiting the whole, or if a boss, you know, at a workplace has to say, you're not benefiting the whole, that puts them in a place where all of a sudden they aren't as popular as, you know, perhaps they want to be, or they'd like to be, or they, you know, other people are kind of seeing them as. So I think that's, that's a piece that really opens the leader and the captain up to attacks of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I love that point of that is a potentially scary place for many, especially if you are like the captain example for a team, right? Odds are your teammates are in similar ages for you. So there isn't that, you know, that like added barrier or added boundary of, you know, this is this is a boss or something right. that maybe in a workplace you would assume. And so I love that, that potential for pressure and extra vulnerability or extra responsibility of if you're in a position of leadership, you know, the vulnerable part of the vulnerability is that you might lose 
parts of a relationship that you value. And I think that is the trade-off or the potential trade-off of being a leader is if you want to lead, of course, some decisions are going to be a little bit harder than other ones. You're not going to be able to, um, you know, relate to all of your, uh, of all the people you're leading, right? Like now you are seen in a different level or a different status or whatever, where do you want to put in there but it, that that elevation that extra responsibility comes with a toll yes and so I love that you brought up those points and I think when I was thinking about vulnerability and leadership it swings both ways for me in terms of of course like leadership and vulnerability they can play into each other but if you also like they can they can maximize each other right like they can have a symbiotic relationship of yeah you know better leadership equals better or more vulnerability. Yeah. And so when I say it swings the other way, I also think that bad leadership and that and not enough vulnerability can uh, also be detrimental to a team. Yeah. That's something or, you know, a team in any way, not just athletic sense. Right. Uh, I think that's something that has in my own personal experience, I have become attuned to of in my leaders in my life that I know have made a big impact on me and others around me, I have seen a direct correlation of what's important for me is I know in a leader, I need to see that vulnerability. Yes. Because for me to be vulnerable on their team as a team member, a team player, I have to feel like, oh, if I present an idea and I'm unsure of what the outcome is going to be, or I'm unsure of how it's all going to play out, I can't be wondering if leadership if I express that vulnerability, if my leadership will doubt me. Yes. And I think that's something that is very, very, it took me a while to understand that and a lot of different relationships with leaders to be able to pinpoint what it is for me specifically. But I know when I look at leaders, I need their leadership and their vulnerability to stay consistent no matter what their team yeah. or their, um, players or whatever whoever you're talking about are doing mm -hmm. and I think that unwavering factor also plays into that you know the self-confidence of course but I think that also plays into leadership and your ability to be vulnerable yes I think that's really really well said and I think um it speaks to the power of mirroring mm -hmm. in order to create safe spaces Right. So like you were saying, if your leader is exhibiting vulnerability, we become, we, we feel like it's a safer space for us to reflect that kind of vulnerability back, which then in turn reflects the leader's vulnerability back. And so you kind of have, it's actually making me think of um, a one-liner that Dr. Hacker said before, which was um, confidence begets confidence. I think here, what we're seeing is that vulnerability begets vulnerability, right? If we're in spaces where people are vulnerable in front of us, and especially if the people that are becoming vulnerable in front of us are in leadership positions, they are modeling for us how to do it. And, you know, leaders are our models, right? And so they're, they're, they're modeling for us how to become vulnerable. And they're also in that modeling, creating a very safe space for us to become vulnerable. And we need to feel safe in order for us to truly begin to open up and unravel. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love that you bring Dr. Hacker's line of confidence begets confidence and to that vulnerability begets vulnerability. And I know that that is something that I really value as, you know, whether I'm in a leadership position or whether I'm in a follower position. Mm-hmm. And I know I try and bring that into a lot of my interactions, if not all, um, of, you know, creating that space it goes both ways of creating that space so someone else can feel comfortable being vulnerable, but also allowing yourself to feel vulnerable. And yes. so I know that even um, this is, so currently I'm going through a leadership training myself through this post-grad program that I'm in. And one of the trainings that we just completed, it is very, you know, it, it even mirrors this conversation that we're having of in a leader, what qualities really speak to you. And, you know, it's, it's part of a self-awareness assessment of, knowing you know on a on a bigger scale when you are either in the job market or um looking for leaders that really that looking for a mentor or someone to mentor you um knowing what you are most motivated by is very essential to that relationship and to having confidence and being able to feel vulnerable and i know for me um one of the things that they were talking about is kind of like this this graph of competence and connection and so that this is where vulnerability comes into play with leadership because if you feel like you are connected with your leader yes then you are able to have that stronger bond you are able to be more vulnerable you are able to complete better work and you know of course you want high high um, magnitude in each of those right like high connection and high competence competence of course is how much do you trust a person to know what they're talking about and to know that they are headed in the right direction. Yeah. And so for me, I know that if it came down to, I had to only pick one connection would be the one that I know I work yes. better with in that. I know that problem solving, we can get, we can solve a problem, you know, yeah. however we can, but if we don't have that connection, if I don't have that, um, that environment for myself to feel vulnerable in and offer ideas and know that they will be valued. I know that that, relationship won't lend itself to me feeling confident in that space yeah that makes a lot of sense well that's really that's really cool I like that a lot isn't that yeah isn't that interesting to think about interesting I'll send you the graph later please yeah yeah shout out advisa um they're they're the (laughs) they're the people who taught me that (laughs) amazing I love it yeah and so I think too that um something that I want to tie this all together in or together with is that self-awareness piece that I was kind of alluding to of, I know this is the type of environment that I need to be successful. And I think this plays a lot into identity. And I know we've danced around it a little bit in this episode, but it was something that we both wanted to speak to of, you know, confidence in itself is just weird to think about, you know, there's no one way of building up confidence. There's no one way of losing it. And so I would love to kind of talk about as we're navigating the relationship between confidence, leadership, and vulnerability, how our identity and the self really plays into all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I really like that because, um, when we're when we're thinking about identity, we're asking ourselves the question, "Who am I?" And 
because my work is rooted in, because my clinical work is rooted in athletics, I, I will speak to that because that's what, that's what I know. Um, and oftentimes what I see is when an athlete loses confidence because they've tied their confidence to their performance and athletes I have found really identify as athletes. Right. So when you ask an athlete, an elite athlete, who are you? Oftentimes they'll respond with, well, I'm a soccer player or I'm a hockey player or I'm a dancer. Um, so I think it's really important for us to take a look at how we're answering the question, who are you? Because if you are answering it with, I am athlete, and you are then connecting your confidence to your performance, we get into a really complicated, messy situation. Because what we're looking at is um, I'm a good person or I'm doing well or I'm good if I'm performing well. There's a direct link there. And it goes the other way. If I'm not performing well, then I'm not a good soccer player and then I'm not a good person. So this is, as a therapist, one of the things that I'm thinking about and working on with my athletes all the time is answering the question, who are you? If you are only identifying with one piece of your identity and then you're connecting that piece of identity with confidence that's rooted in performance, it becomes very problematic. And what we need to kind of do and what we do in therapy is we kind of blow the doors open on the kind of rigid way of defining the self. And we begin to ask ourselves questions of like, well, who am I outside of my identity as an athlete? And, you know, to talk about what we were talking about earlier, this is when we begin to ask the questions of like, what are your value systems? What do you like? What do you don't, what don't you like? What kind of relationships are important to you? Do you have a spiritual or cultural identity that, that, that should be kind of moving forward at this point in time? And when we then, when we can expand our definition of who you are, our investment in performance becomes a little less important. And it becomes more about our being rather what we're, than what we're doing. Yeah, I love that distinction. That's exactly why I wanted to make that um, make that distinction of what we are doing does not equal who we are. And so I know just from my own path, that is something that I had to also reflect upon and kind of like blow the doors open. Like, you know, it doesn't just because you're ending a chapter of your life and mm -hmm. a big part of your identity, it doesn't reflect on your performance or your um, productivity. I know for me, I was so, you know, just like busy, honestly, during my athlete athletic career that if I wasn't doing something, it felt like I was lazy, therefore right. not right. successful, right. therefore not a good person, right? Like not, not achieving a lot. And of course you look at the day and it's busy and you're doing, you know, you're, you're living your life oh. and of course you're achieving yeah. things, but it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, I finished homework at 10 p.m. and I have another hour like what can I fill in there 
right? Yeah. And so, um, and I say another hour because like I could not go to bed after eleven p.m. No, fair, fair. <laughs> couldn't couldn't sacrifice that sleep. No, um, but like that's that's the that's the really small that's a smaller point of not letting yourself be identified by one thing and having yourself identify identify oh my gosh identify yeah there we go <laughs> with multiple um multiple personas or multiple things so that if and when one of those things is removed from your life your life it is not a uh, huge pivotal decision but instead it's just you know a chapter closing and a new one opening yes. and so that's that's how I've come to think of you know the things that I look to to give me confidence instead of now just having it be one thing there are multiple things that I sometimes admittedly have to remind myself of of like no there's so many thing other things going on for me other than you know the what I used to consider the most centric part of my yes. identity which was being an athlete and just being an overachiever and um, successful and being able to handle like ath um, the athletic lifestyle and extracurriculars and school and friends and family on top of all of that, right? Like, I think when you look at the athletic, typical athletic personality, it, it goes outside of athletics and it leads into our productivity as a human and how much we're valued because of that productivity. Yes. And that's where I love that distinction between identity and the self and how it lends itself to confidence, but how it can also lend itself into um, taking away some of that confidence. Yes, absolutely. And I think as you were speaking, I was thinking about the importance of like, we were talking about like staying in your lane and what are you putting your focus on? The, the importance of you as an individual answering the question, who are you? And I think a great example of this is when we take a look at collegiate athletes, they are, they are defined, their identity is defined for them. The institution, the college will call you a student athlete. Who are you? You're a student athlete, right? It's been defined for you. Hey, don't worry, don't think about it. You're a student athlete. And when we find outside forces beginning to define us as who we are as people, we lose that space where we can, like we were talking about before, be creative. We lose the opportunity for us to go in and actually for ourselves, you know, again, turn that energy in, turn that focus in, actually for ourselves, begin to define who we are as people. And, you know, to, to your point, um, it's essential that we do that because, you know, hopefully we graduate, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you go to college and you graduate. And if you're not going pro or you're not doing, you know, Olymp the Olympic team or something like that, all of a sudden student athlete as an identity, it's gone. And who are you then? And that's why when we step into our power and begin to identify who we are, where we begin to name who we are, where we put the labels on the things, then we're in a space of evolution rather than termination. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it gives us, it, it puts us in that position of leadership as well, of I'm the one leading and choosing, you know, exactly. my my fate. Um, I love that. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. There's obviously so we could probably go for hours, right? Like there's yeah. so many things that we could touch upon. 
and really dive into. But I, I think this is a conversation that I know for me has been top of mind just, you know, recently as we've discussed this episode, but just overall in life, like even when I think taking it outside of us, our two personal experiences of being able to say like whenever there's a transition in life and there's something that is perhaps unstable or changing, it is so easy to question like one's leadership, one's vulnerability and one's confidence. And so I just know I like I rest assured in that it is something it is a conversation that is never ending and it's forever growing. And I know for myself, I have learn to find beauty and grace in that because that's part of the process and you know it's it's not confidence leadership vulnerability isn't something that you just you get at one point in life and you check it off it's ever growing right and I think that's what's so special about understanding that yes lovely yeah well that that's that's it right like that's exactly <laughs> until next time when we have you on. I love it absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah, Thank but- you so much for, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And um, I learn so much as if through these conversations and hopefully, um, yeah, I'll, whoever's tuning in is, is taking something from it as well and going in and reflecting in and, and seeing what it means for them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I know I've equally learned a ton from our conversations. This one uh, passes past conversations as well. Um, it's always so special having you on and having you, you make the time means a lot. So thank you so much, Allison. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening and dedicating some of your time to listening to these conversations and being an external part of that conversation. I hope you take away with each episode, maybe some new perspectives and some ways to reflect about how what we talk about pertains to your life and your own interests and goals.